What's up, everyone? This is Trey Van Camp, and you are listening to the Ministry Podcast. The trick to courage is not temperament, it's truth. In order to have courage, you have to have truth because the truth is what gives you that courage. So here's my hope, my prayer for today is that we wind up with more courage. And here's what I wrote down in my journal. What are three ways that we need courage today? Number one, I think a lot of us need more courage when it even comes to our own heart. How many of you struggle because your heart is ridden with performance-driven anxiety, right? where it's never enough. You're trying to be more successful. You're trying to impress more people. You're constantly living for that approval. In this, if we take this word seriously today, we can recognize that taking this truth will allow us to stand against even our own heart and live in peace. Well, we have another thing I wrote down that we really struggled with when it comes to courage. It's really funny. When I grew up, as a like 16-year-old obnoxious kid, I was like, why are people afraid to share the gospel? You know, like it makes no sense to me. As the older I get, I realize there is pressure. This world, especially now, it seems like it's not very favorable to the Christian mes- message. So what we have is we need a courage that stands against the world, even when the world is pressuring us to not follow what we follow. More and more today, we see the culture saying, don't follow this, don't believe in that, that is really rude. What do we do as Christians? We need courage, and this passage will give us courage. The last one I think really scares a lot of people. Truth gives you the courage to stand against death. Every once in a while, I freak out. You guys know I, I still look up WebMD, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, my toe hurts. I'm going to die in three days, right? But, but death is something that scares a lot of us. It should, but with the gospel, it actually shows. Like my dad has that mentality. My dad goes... Um, you know, bull riding, he's on his motorcycle. And every time I'm like, dad, you're crazy. And I love it. A guy told him the other day, he said, well, if you're going to be dumb, you might as well be tough. I'm like, that is my dad, <laughs> like right there, you know, like he's dumb, but at least he's tough. He got back on that bull. Um, but, but he says like, if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. I cannot lie. I'm not ready to go. I got stuff to do. But in this truth, it doesn't mean you're suicidal and kamikaze type of person, but we are able to see death and say, yeah, I'm ready for it whenever that day comes. Okay, let, let's, let's just dive in. Verse 12, I'm so excited for this passage today. Verse 12, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Let me explain this real quick. The Greeks, this is... Corinth was in Greece. The Greeks believed they had this worldview foundational to their beliefs. The soul is good, but the body is bad. So that's actually why we saw in Corinth, they actually engaged in a lot of physical activity because they thought, I don't need to take care of my body. The, the body is bad anyway. So anything I do that's bad with my body, it doesn't really matter because it's bad in the first place. You guys got me? But the spirit is good. And so they believed is when you die, you now are just a spirit. You know what's funny? Most Christians think that too. But I'm glad you came today because you're false, okay? And so we're going to learn that. Actually, we are a spirit when we die, but when the second coming of Jesus comes, then we have actually a resurrected body. God actually restores everything. And so we're actually, not only is our spirit restored, but our body's restored. But the church, the church in Corinth was falling under the pressure. And we get this all the time. They were thinking, 
okay, Greece, Corinth, they don't like, they don't like the body. So they cannot fathom that God would care so much for the body of Jesus that not only his spirit rose again, but that his body rose again. And so the church started saying, and it's so tempting, we have different things in our culture that we're starting to give up to the world and say, okay, we don't need it. The church started saying, okay, there's no resurrection. But look what happens. Verse 15, it says, Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. If it's true that Jesus wasn't resurrected, then why are we meeting here today is what Paul's saying. Here's point number one. I think it's so, so crucial we get, guys. Oh, get ready? Put it up on the screen. It says, when we pick and choose what to follow, we have a faith that's empty and hollow. Sorry, it's fake and hollow. I messed up my own little saying. Let me say one more time. No, just kidding. When we pick and choose what to follow, we have a faith that's fake and hollow. What was happening with Corinth here, and this is why I actually have a, uh, a picture here. I told my wife, I need a bunch of things, and so she helped me. We went to Party City. Uh, okay, and so very expensive crown. Oh, okay, $15.99. I'm taking it back uh, right after this. Okay, not even my daughter likes it. She's like, you know what I love about faith? She's like, I have a tiara. I was like, that is so smart of you. I was like, I need a crown faith. She's like, I have a tiara. You know, it's like, it's Sophia the first though. She's like, you can have it for your sermon. I was like, you're so cute. But no, uh, <laughs> I'm a man. I need a crown, right? Anyways, so here's what Corinth was doing. And here's the point Paul is trying to make. He's saying, okay, Corinth was saying, yes, we believe in the cross. In fact, the Greeks didn't have a problem with that. The Jews had the problem with the cross, so the Greeks said, okay, we're having the cross. So what they tried to do is they tried to, the church in Corinth, and we get so tempted to do this, they try to put themselves between the gap of the cross and the crown. The crown, as we know, is what happens because Jesus rose again from the dead. We are in victory. Oh, there's a Harkins cup underneath. I gave that one away. We are in victory. But what but Corinth was saying, no, no, no. Okay, culture, you don't think the resurrections happen? That's fine. We still want you to come to church. We still want you to believe in the truth. And so they're saying, okay, we don't think that's happened yet. We don't think a resurrection. So we're in this gap where we believe the cross has happened, but we don't believe the resurrection has happened. You guys with me? Here's what's so crazy. We do this all the time. We look at the culture and say, okay, culture, what do you think is false? And some of us say, we don't need that truth anyways. And here's one of the major points I want us to get from when I'm studying it this week. Anytime we take a single ingredient of the gospel out, we no longer have a gospel. Anytime in your lifestyle, you'll say, okay, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I know you're saved to do this. I don't need that part of my life. You don't have a Christian life. Do you guys get what I'm saying? This is so huge. And Paul's going to show us, look, when you try to take one element, which by the way, if you're going to take out an element, don't take out the resurrection. It's like the whole stinking point. But what they're trying to do is, okay, we're going to take this out. We now live in a gap between the cross and the crown when we try to take away the resurrection. And in this gap, the best way to define it is I call this the gap of speculation. In this gap of speculation, here's what it is. Okay, we know Jesus died for us. We know that he loves us and that our sins are forgiven, but we're not actually sure because he never rose from the grave. What if he lied? 
What if it actually wasn't the truth? We don't know. We don't have proof uh, to them. They don't think, although it's very clear throughout scripture, uh, throughout history that it's proven. But if we choose to ignore those facts, then we have to live in our feelings. Do you see that? When we decide to ignore certain truths, we're saying we don't want facts, we want feelings. And what you wind up doing is you now live in a gap called speculation. Here's what's terrible about speculation. WebMD, okay? You speculate about the worst thing possible. The other day I had a headache. I'm not joking you. I looked these things up. When we were in Thailand, I saw Lexi, you're here. Hi, Lexi. Do you have your Thailand shirt on? Yeah, okay. So I don't know if you noticed, but when I was at the airport in, uh, where were we, Tokyo or uh, Japan? No, were we in Japan? Tokyo? I couldn't see. I literally was starting to, bl- like, I, I was, I'm going blind. Like, what a great story. I was thinking if a biography was ever written to me, he was on a mission trip to Thailand and went blind. And I was, <laughs> so I was just scrolling through pictures of my wife and daughters thinking, okay, I need to remember this. I'm not joking you. I was spotting. I was not a good person to be around. And then I ate pizza that was not pizza. You know, it was a bad time in my life. Turns out I just had my contacts in too long and I didn't have any water. Did you know when you're dehydrated, you go spotty? I don't know. WebMD didn't tell me that. WebMD told me I'm blind in the next three and a half hours. But anyways, here we have this gap of speculation. You're always thinking, what is the worst possible outcome? Friends, when we don't believe in the resurrection, it's inevitable. You will live a life that is always worried about what's coming next. You will always speculate. No matter how positive you think you are, you know, uh uh-oh, I'm in a gap of speculation. At the end of the day, it's just based off of my feelings, and those things change a lot. What am I going to do? Here's, uh, here's how a lot of us speculate. I want to ask you, what, is, what are you most afraid of? This one's big. Let's put up the next, next point on the slide. Your greatest terror will lead to your error. Here's what I mean by that. If your greatest terror, there's some of you here, the, the worst thing that can happen to you is that you lose power. You love the fact that you're lifted up. You love that people worship you in some sort of context. And, but get, get this, you love it. And guess what? Power's not bad. But if you realize that that is your greatest terror, that is what gives you the most significance, I have bad news for you because it will lead to your error. Because when you worship power, you will then eventually hurt people that you love And you will do things that you actually don't want to do, but because you're so terrified of losing power, you betray your own self in order to make sure that that terror never happens. You guys with me? Some of you, it's comfort. The greatest terror is that I'm not in a comfortable spot. And so, in fact, you're not giving to people who actually need it because you're so consumed in saving but you're actually missing out on blessing people and you're becoming a person that you don't like because you're stingy and you're not giving, you're not loving to others because you're so set on making sure that you are good. Your greatest terror in life will lead to your biggest errors in life because you're afraid of it happening is actually the very reason why it actually happens. In the gospel, when we don't live between this gap of speculation, we don't have to live in fear because we know this is here and we know we already have victory. Do you guys see that? So many of you are depressed and discouraged because you're living within this gap of speculation. I got one more thing. It's tweetable. It's not on the screen. But here's something I was also thinking of. What what are one of the things that are my terrors? And as a gospel-believing Christian, I have to fight against those and realize that Jesus has conquered those, so I don't need those fears. But some of the fears that I think about is rejection. One of the hardest things for me is when people reject me. 
Um, I experienced rejection last week, and it wasn't fun, right? It doesn't make you feel good, but I, I wrote down in my journal, dwelling on rejection is a damaging infection. Some of you have been dwelling on some way you've been rejected 20 years ago and is literally keeping you from living the life that God has intended you to live today. Some of you, you are trying to gain the approval of people that will never give you the approval. And instead of just moving on, moving forward, because guess what? I know I'm a Christian, but sometimes you need to move on from people in life. Instead of doing that, you let that just infect your soul and it makes you somebody you don't like. You are insecure. You are constantly gossiping. Everything in your life is miserable. Why? Because you're not applying the resurrection in your life and you're living in the gap of speculation. Okay, let's keep moving though. Verse 20. Oh, there's so much to go through here. Verse 20 says... But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's saying, okay, so the crown has happened. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. If you're not a farmer, literally first fruits mean, hey, whatever you get, the first 10%, usually with crop, like, oh, wow, these are the beginning. This shows you what the rest will look like. So Jesus being the first fruit, him having a resurrected body shows us that as followers of Jesus, we will also have a resurrected body like his. If you read the gospel accounts, Jesus walks through walls. I'm looking forward to that, okay? He's a first fruit, and I'm gonna do it as well. Verse 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came, comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. What we have here is definitely a reference to Romans chapter 5. Paul talks about this even more. But when we preach, preach the gospel, you are either team Adam or team Jesus. Paul is simply putting here, and remember I, I mentioned this last week, in the Garden of Eden, Adam was told, obey and live. And he didn't. In the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he went to the cross, what did Jesus say? Let this cup pass from me, but not my will, not, but your will be done. And Jesus was essentially told in that moment, obey and die. And he did. Jesus did what Adam can never do. And so what we have a decision. When we are born, we are born in Adam. We are, in, we are born to die. There is no hope. There is no future. We are living Adam. He's in the gap of speculation. But we have with Jesus, he's saying now you can have a new life. And you now actually can live between the gap of the crown and the gown. Let's keep reading. Verse 23. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward, at his coming, his second coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything is put under him. It is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. Okay, that's a lot, and it took me a long time to figure out this week. Paul is saying, look, at the resurrection, 
Because of the resurrection, we are promised that our bodies, we will have a, this is getting theological, but we will have a resurrected body. This is actually why, as Christians, we take care of our body today. Because like the Greeks, we, we actually don't think the body is bad. And so we try to do, as Christians, we say, let's honor our bodies. Because eventually, we know these bodies aren't going to be thrown away. We know these bodies will be restored. And for some of you, it's like, that's why I ain't going to work on it. Because I know Jesus is going to do it all for me one day. And I'm going to eat as much cheesecakes as I want. That's great. Okay, I'm with you on that. But, but that's why a lot of people say, just in general, we need to take care of our bodies because it's not a bad thing. And that, that's the point he's making. And then he's saying, look, because of the resurrection, it is a promise that one day Jesus will eventually put an end to all of this. There'll be no more people that, that are born and then to die. You, we're just going to have eternity. We're going to have people who are either in hell or who are in heaven and the new earth. This is so much theology, but I want us to get this. But here's the point that I think we need to get. Here's what it is. He's saying because of the resurrection, we no longer speculate about what is right and wrong and depending on how we feel. What he's saying because of the resurrection, we're now between the crown and the wedding gown. If you read Revelation, it's so cool. Revelation says we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. You ever heard of that? When the second coming of Jesus comes, it is a wedding feast. In the scriptures, it says that us, the, we are the bride. We are the bride of Christ. So literally, we're going to have a really cute dress. Are you excited about that, men? When our resurrected body, so it's going to look good. Okay, but we will be walking in, and we are the bride, and Jesus is our groom. And here's what's great about all of this. Paul is saying the resurrection is proof that all of this is the truth. Because when you live in the gap of speculation... It's like, I don't know if this is true. I think this is right. Here's the new trend that the world is saying to do. But with the gospel, it's saying you don't have to live that way. You don't have to live in fear. You are able to see that the crown, the victory is already won. We just, all we have to look forward to is the wedding feast. Here, here's point number four, three. I don't know where we're at. The resurrection of Jesus is a receipt that all of our enemies are under his feet. How do you summarize 20 through 28? Boom, right there. It's a receipt. I always tell my daughter, she's into that, like holding the receipt thing, and I'm always terrified she's going to lose it, and then the Sam's Club person is going to be like, no, you didn't buy all these items. Go back home, right? But the receipt shows, hey, this is paid for in full, and literally that's what Paul is saying. The resurrection is proof that Jesus died for you, rose again for you, has given you freedom, has given you forgiveness, and has given you power. That's pretty cool. That's what we have with the resurrection. So, Corinth, so, Christian, you cannot ignore the essentials of the faith because when you do that, you no longer have a receipt and you live in defeat. I don't know, I'm trying. But when you think, okay, there's no crown, that's kind of offensive. Okay, great. But you're going to live in speculation and you're going to live in terror and fear, never knowing what's coming next. And you know what really bothers me? I know that I've believed in Jesus and that he's placed me here. But I also know my mind is very often right here. Who's with me? I know that I'm here. I'm here, baby. I got a wedding feast coming up. There better be cheesecake, right? But oftentimes when I wake up in the morning, my first thought isn't, oh, I'm looking forward to it. My first thought is, am I going to make it today? My first thought is, I don't feel good. I hate it. I hate that about me, but I speculate and I think, is someone going to tear me down today? I think, am I actually going to make a difference today in somebody's life? I live in fear. I live in terror. 
And, and I love about this passage, and I want to have the courage like Paul, because Paul is so great. He's saying, dude, I'm a normal guy like you, but I realize and I train my mind to live not in the gap of speculation, but in the gap of proclamation, saying every morning when I wake up, I am proclaiming that Jesus is my king and he is better than anything else I'm going to experience today. I am proclaiming because of the truth of God's word when I wake up, I know without a doubt the only thing I have coming for me is this marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't have to live in fear. You know what I hate about the devil? He's really smart about it. When he puts thoughts in your minds, he says, I instead of you. You ever think about that? When you wake up in the morning, you don't literally hear the devil going, you're gonna, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't like you. Or you're like, no, don't do it. Yes, pro- no, no, right? That is not how it goes. I wish it was that easy. Yes, master. Dad, you mustn't. Instead, I just like it. I'm trying to come up with excuses to keep going with this. Yes, yes. No. Okay. Instead, when I wake up in the morning, I think, I suck. I don't have a future. Man, I don't have any money. I didn't treat that guy very great. I don't have, you know, all these things. I, 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 the devil is talking for you and we're just so dumb. We believe it. And that's what Paul says, resurrection, resurrection. We are a people of the resurrection. We have to constantly be looking. We cannot put ourselves between the the cross and the crown. We have to put ourselves between the crown and the gown. And that doesn't come easy. And that is why at our church, we constantly say, God time, gather time, group time, go time. God time, gather time, group time, go time. How's your God time? Because if you're not coming before God, just you alone with him every day, (laughs) you're going to live in speculation. If you're not gathering here, listening to a preacher who tries to be Dr. Seuss every single week, you live in speculation. If you're not gathering in our, in our groups, which we're starting this week, and just working through life and learning how other people are suffering and praying for them and helping them out, you will not live in this gap of proclamation. If you're not going, if you're not actually sharing your faith, if you're not willing to go and spread the good news of Jesus, you will start to think, oh no, I mustn't. I can't. (laughs) I'm not going to do it. We're going to be there. To all the visitors here, thanks for coming one time. Um, (laughs) My dad's got a church, pretty good one, 15 minutes down the road. (laughs) Okay. All right. Now, here's what I love, though. Man, verse 29. You guys better like this. This took forever to get to me. This is my wife's wedding gown. I'm starting to get nostalgia over here. Okay, I'm just saying. Now I got kids. Okay, verse 29. They're a greatest blessing, but life was easier back then. Okay. Okay. But that was me living in speculation. I love it. I'm proclaiming that I love my kids and everything's great. Verse 29. Otherwise... What will they do who are being baptized for the dead? You're going to study this in your growth guides this week. I don't got no more time for that. Honestly, look up the ESV study Bible. It's such a great explanation of that. I could have explained it by the amount of time I took to say I'm not going to explain it, but <laughs> if the dead are not raised at all, then why are people being baptized for them? Here's verse 30. This one's huge. Guys, I want courage. I want us to live in courage. Why are we in danger every hour? In other words, he's saying, I'm putting myself in danger. How come we're willing to put ourselves in danger every single hour? I face death every day as surely as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, I love that, what good did that to me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat 
and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses and stop sinning, for some people are ignorant about God. I say this to your shame. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, okay, look, there is a reason. I want you to get this. I am courageous, not because it's on my Enneagram. I am courageous because I know that the resurrection has happened and it changes every single step of my life. And I want us to have this as well. Verse 31 is key uh, to understand how does Paul have that courage. In verse 31, it says, um, if I fought, well, okay, uh, no, verse I was reading verse 32. I was like, I don't think, okay, verse 31, if I face every day, as surely, here it is, as I may boast, underline boast, about you, brothers and sisters, in Christ Jesus. Here's the secret. Paul's saying, I am able to live here with courage because my boast is in Christ. What does boast mean? Another translation, some of yours may say glory, which might even be more confusing, but glory means weight. So he's saying, this is what I put all of my weight into. Okay, every single day when we wake up, when we live in speculation, we put our weight into approval, right? We put our weight into comfort. We put our weight into hoping that nobody will reject us. We put our weight in power. We put all of our weight saying, oh, I really hope that this gives me the hope and joy that I need today. Paul is saying, no, no, no. Here's how I live in courage. I boast in what Jesus has already done, not in what I might be able to do. Speculation, proclamation. Here's what it is. In other words, the question is, what do you have your heart set on? <sighs> what do you have your heart set on? What will give you joy? I'm going to repent right now. I hate talking about YouTube to you guys, but I'm going to do it. I hate that several times in the last few months, I thought, oh, I am putting my heart set on 350 views or more, right? How many of us do that? I'm putting my hope that this many people will enjoy it. I'm putting my hope that, no, no, no. Paul is saying in speculation, when you live in the gap of speculation, your hope is usually the absence of your terror. So for me, my terror is rejection. So when I live in speculation, I put my hope that there won't be people who reject me and there'll be a lot of people who like me. But when we live in the gap of proclamation, we say, okay, what gives me importance is not the absence of my terror. What gives me importance, what I'm putting all of my emphasis on is the presence of my Savior. You are either living hoping that the bad thing won't happen or you're, liver, or you're also living thankful that the great thing has already happened for you. Here's the last point. Here's what the heart of the Christian is. My boast is not a speculation of what feels right. My boast is a declaration that Jesus has made it right. That's the gospel. That's what Paul is saying here. And that's something I desperately want because 2 Timothy 1.7 says, Brothers, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but what? But of power, love, sound judgment. So the hope we have is not, I wonder what's going to happen. The hope we have is we know it's already happened. And because he's already fulfilled his promise that he resurrected, we know without a doubt that he's also going to restore us fully because the receipt shows he already did the impossible, which means I can walk in confidence knowing he's going to do the next impossible thing for me. That's why when my heart is pounding with anxiety, 
performance-driven anxiety and speculation, what's going to happen next, I can say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to live in speculation. I'm going to live in proclamation. I'm not going to sit here and think about, oh, no, I, I, I just hate that I'm so anxious. I'm going to say, no, I'm going to... I love the Tim Keller quote. So many of us, we listen to our heart rather than preach to our heart. I'm going to preach the truth and say, you know what, heart? Hey, heart, I, God has given me not a spirit of fear. You know what, heart? God accepts me for who I am. God, if God is for me, who can be against me? When the world tries to make us speculate and drop essence of the gospel, we can say, well, the scripture says, in all things we are more than conquerors. In John 8, 32, it says, we shall know the truth, and it's the truth that sets us free. Therefore, even though the world is trying to get me to speculate and change things about this gospel message, I'm going to proclaim that this is the truth because I believe it, and I know that when I stick to the whole truth and nothing but the truth, it is that truth that actually gives me courage to share it to people, and it gives me courage because I I believe it because the resurrection happened. And then in that verse, it says, if I believe that truth, it's the very thing that's going to set me free. It's the very thing that's going to make me live in hope. I hope I'm, oh, I'm hope I'm saying this right. It, with death, we can say, like it says in the last part of 1 Corinthians 15, oh, death, where is your sting? Guys, we have so many people. I think we do it. We live between the gap of the cross and the crown. And you wonder why you're down. But we can live between the gap of the crown and the gown. Here's what I'm going to end with. Psalm 91. I was, uh, something, honestly, for me that's helping me. I've had a really anxious heart lately. And the book of Psalms has been super helpful for me in, in praying these things through and all this stuff. And I love the wording of this. It says, you will not fear the terror of the night. The arrow that flies by day. You guys ever feel that? No matter if you're up, if you're asleep, no matter what part of life, it seems like something is always coming your way. The plague that stalks in darkness or the pestilence that ravages at noon. Though a thousand fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, the pestilence will not reach you. You will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked. Here's what's good though. And I want us to realize it's the same language Paul is using. Verse 9 says, because you have made the Lord, my refuge, the most high, your dwelling place. Because you have made God as the one you set your weight in. Because you make God as the one you set your hope in, not speculation, but proclamation. No harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. For he who gives angels, uh, he, for he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. Please understand poetic language. Don't go find a young lion and see if this works, okay? We're not putting snakes in our congregation, but what he's saying is all of these things, whatever you're struggling with, it's like a lion. It's like a cobra attacking you. And I know you know the feeling of just all this anxiety, all this worry of like, can I share my faith? Can I do this? Am I worthy of that? He's saying all these things come our way, but we can tread on those when we set our heart on him. Verse 14, because he has set, this is now God talking, because he has his heart set on me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life and show my salvation. How do we stand in today's world? 
How are we gonna have that courage, that literally that courage to finally talk to our people who are living in fear and show them the truth? How do we wake up every day with hope and persistence and joy? How you stand is determined by where you stand. Are you, when you wake up every day, are you standing in the gap of speculation, not holding on to the truths that God has promised you in his word? You will live in this and you cannot stand. But when you realize and you place your mind, your whole, all of you into this gap of proclamation, you can stand because you know what you're standing between, between victory and the wedding feast. That is what's offered to you and me.